You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. This episode is coming out possibly early. You may be listening to it on Thursday evening instead of the normal Friday release where it happens overnight, and that's because we're doing something really big here, Ed. The Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network is getting all grown up. Aww. The easiest way to say this is we signed a deal in which everything is going underneath one network set up on a server so that we can keep better track. Now, you know, we already had these Internet Advertising Bureau certified stats, which, you know, our, our advertisers love. That's why you you hear such great advertisers on this show to support this show and allow us to do what we do. Like Family Waterproofing Solutions, who brings it to you every week. Look, look, look at that. Look at that. You dive right into the first commercial. Name one of the South Downs best in 2021 by the Daily South Down. They'll get it again this year. Boeing walls, window wells, foundation crack repairs, some pumps, gutter cleaning. You name it, they do it. They're going to keep water out of your basement. They've been around since 2013. Family and veteran owned and operated. Give them a call 24-7 and mention Socks in the Basement. You get a deep discount. 708-330-4466. See what a difference a family makes at FamilyDry.com. But the idea behind this is there's a bunch of work going on overseas tonight. And I don't want the show to get lost in the shuffle and not be there for people on Friday. And then we hit the weekend and I'm sitting there arguing with somebody that they didn't do something right when they were switching everything over. Right. right, I'm going to get the show out before the group that's on the other side of the world wakes up and screws something up. That's that's why the show is coming out early. Well, yeah. And and it's been interesting in the early going because we know just how many of you guys actually listen to us. And we have just that many more people whose sanity we need to question. So, um, but we thank you for it. That's the thing. You see downloads in a podcast, and I don't want to spend too much on this. I'm going to do 60 seconds on this. You see downloads in a podcast, and we always knew that we had so many White Sox fans listening to us. And we've always been flattered by the amount of people who listen to two friends sit at a nine-foot homemade oak bar in my basement and talk about our favorite team. But over the years now, we're four years into this. We never had an understanding of how many people listen who might get distracted and not finish the show, how many people don't fully get through it. And in the process of going through this and figuring out how much bandwidth we need to have to actually service all of our listeners and how many people only listen for like 20 minutes and we don't see it in the download numbers, but like they're getting through the majority of the show and their kids distract them or whatever, right? It's like four or five times more than what actually shows up, which is insane to me. I mean, you, I would guess at this point, the vast majority of White Sox fans have checked out or continue to check out Sox in the basement. And that just blows my mind. And all I can say is thank you. Thank you so much for that. Thank you. We're in a good mood. Rick Hahn's in a bad mood. I don't really care about his mood. And I'm not really going to get into how annoying it is to me. He's telling me how upset he is because it's your job and you should be doing it. But just like how, you know, the radio folks in Chicago kind of reiterated on Wednesday things that we said on Tuesday's episode. I don't want to cover what they've already covered as well. But I think you and I are in agreement. I could care less about Rick Hahn's feelings at this point. You either are letting Tony die, hoping that your 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 owner will pick you over him so you can get rid of him next year, and that is a dangerous gamble, and you're basically giving up on the season to do it, or you failed. 
You failed in the offseason. You failed in at the, at the trade deadline, and you should be fired. Even if Tony goes, you should probably walk out the door as well. I could care less about your feelings at this point. The only thing that's going to save you now is this team suddenly catches fire and and goes off, and Aloy Jimenez is going to be the reason for that. I tell you that right now. A thousand percent. It's all on. It's it's Aloy if he does it. And and there's things to watch for in the second half of the season, regardless. I mean, you can talk about when Luis Robert comes back, assuming he comes back and his health is fine. Could he dominate the way we sort of projected preseason? Uh, is Johan Moncada's hot streaks, you know, are these things that he can put together for a while? Um, is Andrew Vaughn for real? I can't wait to see Dylan Cease get snubbed in the Cy Young voting. So it, there's a lot of things to look forward to, but Rick Hahn's feelings is not one of them. The thing I think everybody needs to remember is you can sit there and say the offseason was a failure. If that's true, okay, if Rick doesn't put together a good enough team in the offseason – then that makes the trade deadline very important. So if he's frustrated at the trade deadline, that means that he was frustrated going into the season but couldn't admit it. If it is something where it's this team is good enough to win as is and we didn't need to add to it, well, then he shouldn't be frustrated at all. He should have come out and said, look, all we really wanted to do is you know, we were happy we were able to, to get a guy like Jake Diekman for Reese McGuire. We think he's going to be useful down the stretch. Uh, Reese didn't have a place on this team because Sebi outplayed him. And, you know, we really we looked around at some other stuff. We didn't like the price on some things that could have helped, but we didn't think were necessary. So I'm not frustrated at all. But he said, I'm frustrated, which means he's trying to sit there and say, fans, I'm frustrated because I'm with you. I'm one of you, and I wanted to see more get done. But that also is an indictment of, Rick, you didn't put together the right team in the first place if you're frustrated now that you couldn't fix the problems that you couldn't fix in the offseason. So he can't have it both ways. You gave three years and $16.5 million to a replacement-level player that's uh, 31 or 32. I don't know what Larry is at this moment. And, and you could have used that money elsewhere. You you chased— No, he's been on the team since 31 or 32. <laughs> since 1931 or 32? Yeah, yeah. He he was here when Minnie, when Minnie Minoso came up, you know? <laughs> you, you chased— the uh, the Madrigal trade because you can't you can't sit in front of people and say okay that didn't work out but we're going to do the right thing now by by signing Kimbrel and then having to trade him which slowed down what was going on in your offseason and you were already hampered by the lockout it was a terrible plan badly executed that 16 million you could have just gotten right back in your pocket if you don't pick up the Kimbrel option and try to make the trade and and the Lurie money, now you're walking around with $22 million and you can, you can actually address one of the issues you're still trying to address at the trade deadline. He's been there doing the rebuild now for six years or five and a half or however the math works out from whenever you officially decide that the rebuild started and he doesn't have enough capital to make a move. Uh, he's not done a good job. He's disappointed. Guess what, Rick? I'm disappointed in you. I'm very disappointed in you, but I don't want to sit around and spend the whole show yelling about him. No, no, I want to talk about some of the things that I really enjoy about this team. And I also am going to be a little annoyed as I look at the lineup here on Thursday night and I see Andrew Vaughn bumped down in the lineup. So Luis Robert can bat second. I thought that Vaughn into Jimenez into Abreu two, three, four with, with Anderson, who's been shaky for the last couple of months leading off. That basically has become a juggernaut. You've been waiting for an offensive explosion, and now you're going to take a guy who's coming off of like a couple of weeks of dizziness, and you're going to try to get him going there in the two spot. 
I would not have messed with that. I would have put Robert in after those guys and let him work his way back into the, the like 100% Luis Robert. I, why mess with something that's working for crying out loud? Here's my question. And, and this has been my question all year, okay? I watched Andrew Vaughn last year struggle. I got it why he was struggling last year. I question whether or not he was ready last year. But this year, he's been one of the most consistent bats on the team, and yet he gets sat down at weird times. He gets pushed around in the order. You finally have it. You have a situation, like you said, this, this, he's, he is protection for Tim Anderson right now for, for a scuffling leadoff hitter, and he is a great catalyst to get you to Aloy Jimenez and Jose Abreu. What does he have to do to prove himself that he is one of the best bats on the team. He like, is. What, what does he have to do? I mean, look, he is one of the best bats you have on this team. Why not enjoy that? Why not revel in it? Why not take advantage of it for crying out loud? The, the idea you're going to bump him down the moment that Robert shows up. Look, I know. I know what you wanted the lineup to be at the beginning of the year. But you can't just pigeonhole yourself into something where you're going to. I mean, he's got an 810 OPS. His OPS plus at 128 is the second highest on the team. Now, I know that Robert is also pretty close to him in stats. And I'm not saying it, Luis Robert, who's hitting 301 compared to Andrew Vaughn's 299 this year, who's got the 795 OPS compared to Andrew Vaughn's 810. They're pretty much next to each other. 12 home runs to 10. Okay, fine. But Vaughn is hot and playing every day. And Robert's coming back from something where he got woozy and couldn't play baseball. For weeks on end, we don't know how he's going to feel over the next week as he eases his way in. It's just a weird thing to just say, okay, full speed ahead, bump Vaughn down. He does the strangest things. I mean, on one hand, some of the stuff that we've yelled about, especially A.J. Pollock not playing center field. Remember that episode about a week ago? You've seen A.J. Pollock in center field, and you've seen it work. Right, because A.J. Pollock was a center fielder for a long time in his career. He only became a corner outfielder because the Dodgers had better options. Even the Lance Lynn thing, where I've been complaining now since he got back, like every time he gets into the 90s with his pitch count, he falls apart. He's a a 90-pitch pitcher at this point. And Tony's constantly trying to stretch him to the sixth inning. He wants to finish that sixth inning. Well, guess what? In his last outing, he goes 88 pitches, but he got through six. It wasn't like Tony said, I'm going to send him out for the seventh now. No, no, no. The the magic number was the innings and not the pitch count. That's backwards thinking. So, like, on one hand, there are a few things that have gotten better because they beat their head against the wall so many times they, they had to finally admit that the fan base and folks like us were right about the way that Tony was doing things and how it was wrong. But on the other hand, there's still this, like, you know, cut your nose off to spite your face to prove a point about, well, this is how I always envisioned it, so I'm just going to move things right now. We're, we're red hot. Bats are red hot. Let's mess with the top of the lineup. Then again, we recorded the show before the Thursday night game, so it's quite possible that Luis Robert hit four home runs, and we're, we're idiots. So yeah, there's that, but what do you expect? We're just two guys at a bar. Man, I hope we're wrong. It's a rare thing when people can get down to this bar and actually sit with us here in my basement. You have a better chance of bumping into us at our favorite bar away from this one. That is Cork and Carry at the Park. 33rd in Princeton in the shadow of the ballpark. They have a wide array of craft beers, familiar favorites, 
spirits and wines, that big, beautiful bar, the indoor outdoor seating, the video screens and TVs all over the place right there nestled next to the ballpark. It's the perfect spot to bring the family, the kids, your friends, whoever before the game, get some food in your stomach at a great price. We're talking award-winning burgers, a menu of ballpark favorites. The food there is so good, man. Anything from your wings to your burgers to your nachos to your pulled pork, they've got it and they do it so well. And then afterwards, celebrate a White Sox win back over at Cork and Carry at the park. We will continue to enjoy this season from 33rd and Princeton. Learn more, book your next event at corkandcarry.com. Joining me on the phone line right now from Sox on 35th, you are a first-time guest, Tim Moran. How are you? You wrote a really good article, too. I want to talk about it. What's new? I'm feeling great. Great to be first time on here. Michael Conforto, the the guy who was the talk of the offseason, and all of a sudden he's, his name is back, although in a much more uh, mysterious light, I would say. So it's uh, an interesting topic right now. A lot of a lot of question marks there, but I thought it was one that was worth addressing. Is this a real thing? I, I know in the offseason we talked about the possibility of the White Sox going out and getting Michael Conforto to the point where he became folklore, where the idea was that the magic of Michael Conforto would ride down on a unicorn, land in right field, solve all of our problems, done deal that we all know is going to happen. It doesn't happen. Turns out he hurt himself. There's a lot of questions about how he hurt himself in the offseason. He's not available all year long. He was looking for huge money. And now I would think that the only real way the White Sox grab him is if, one, he wants to play here, and two, they 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 are able to put a deal together that his agent Scott Boris likes. Because Boris might sit there and say, I, I don't want it to be a long-term deal because I want him to hit free agency when he's healthy. I want to show everybody he's healthy. He also might be like, I don't want to risk it. So now I want you to sign him for five years before you see whether or not the, the shoulder is healed. I think it was his shoulder. Yeah, so it was a shoulder. And, and you know, so uh, it was April and they opted to go for the surgery, right? Certainly, he may or may not be healthy. And that's the big question mark. Um, but it was interesting to me that Boris would start talking about how there were teams interested and then started talking about he would be ready in September. I feel like if you were Scott Boris and you wanted him to be healthy uh, before he signed a contract, fully healthy, wait till next season, that kind of thing, then he wouldn't be talking like this. It seems to me that he's trying to squeeze maybe a few more million dollars out of getting Conforto to play a month here at the end of the season, right? So we have no idea. Uh, it sounds like even if he is playing in September, he'll probably just be a DH, um, which obviously is not great, but he would still be a much better bat than a lot of people on the White Sox bench. So, yeah, you know, there's there's a lot of things that we just don't know, but I think the way that things have been going around and Jim Bowden reporting on it and stuff like that, there is a chance that he's ready to come back with a few weeks left in the season. Tim Moran joining us from Sox on 35th. You can read his article about the uh, Michael Conforto story, the possibility uh, although at this point, I feel like the kid that gets told every year that he's going to get a puppy for Christmas and he comes down and there's <laughs> nothing underneath the tree. So I, I don't know how realistic it is. Tim and every guest here on Sacks in the Basement is brought to you proudly by the village of Lamont. Want to experience a downtown with real history, great eats and drinks and green spaces filled with adventure. Visit the village of Lamont, shop, dine, drink, explore and see everything they're doing this weekend and beyond at Lamont Downtown. Dot com. All right, so there's two things that come out of what you just said, or actually one thing that came out of it and one thing that's just eating away at me when I think about Conforto. The thing that you said that perked my ears up was 
he may only be available as a DH. And at that point, I'm like, wow, Aloy Jimenez, you don't want to keep him out in the outfield the whole time. Tony likes to put Grandal in the DH spot whenever Sebi Zavala is catching from time to time. Andrew Vaughn sometimes has to find a spot and you got to put him in a DH role. That That's kind of a crunch there. You, I would think you'd be more interested in him if he was able to play right field, but you're saying with the shoulder surgery, that might not be a thing. Right. Yeah. We don't know for sure, but I do think even in that scenario, you know, Gavin Chiefs has been playing better lately. You can't rely on him the way you can rely on Michael Conforto. Michael, Michael Conforto, after his rookie year, had four amazing years. Uh, and then I think it was three or four. And then last year was an okay year, right? Gavin Chiefs is only a second year player. Obviously, he's played pretty good for what, like the last week, but there's no relying on him a month and a half from now to be the, you know, 30% better than league average hitter he was last year, right? Whereas Conforto, yes, he's coming off the shoulder injury, but if the Sox were going to sign him anyways, I'm sure they'd be looking at his workouts and would be confident in his hitting abilities to start right away. Yeah, I do think he could still have a niche role as that left DDH, but you're absolutely right. In general, it would be extremely limited, and that's why I didn't talk about it too much in the article. They should also be considered signing him on a multi-year contract, but my point was, if they could even just do one year for like $1 million, it's just a no-brainer to at least try. And because the draft is over, and this is the other thing, that means the compensatory pick that would have been attached to him is no longer there, right? So that could that could actually increase the amount of teams interested in him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, with the injury, with the question marks, et cetera, you know, it would just be so cheap for, for, for those few weeks is my point that and, and also, if Boris and Conforto know he's only going to be DH for a few weeks, I mean, that makes it even cheaper, right? And so it's like, well, you know, why not just try? I mean, you have guys who are expendable still on the 40 man, Larry Garcia, the name one, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, a lot of conditionals, a lot of what ifs, a lot of, you know, well, you might as well try. But hey, I mean, that's sometimes what you got to do. I mean, in a tight playoff race, every little advantage you can get is huge. So I just think that if he is healthy and, you know, has a few weeks left in the season. It's, just, it's worth whatever it's going to cost you because it's going to cost you basically nothing. See, your first time on the show, and I've just realized what a practical joker you are because you called Larry Garcia expendable when we all know he's a linchpin. He's a linchpin to his team. He hold, He's the glue that holds it together. Well, he can play more positions than anyone else, so I will give you that. Badly. He can play them badly. Tim Moran writes for SoxOn35th.com. Check out the article that we were just talking about and the rest of his work there. My friend, thank you for jumping on Socks in the Basement. All right. Thanks for having me. Socks in the Basement listeners, do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the South Side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boot specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota. And one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. Let's talk about what Tim Moran just said. He's looking at Michael Conforto as a possible pickup. 
like a way for Rick Hahn to redeem himself. He could be a great fit. In the offseason, we thought this could be a great fit, but you're getting him in September. You don't know how long it's going to take for him to warm up and get going. Last I saw, he's part of the, the unvaccinated group that can't go to Toronto if you're in a playoff series. So your right field is not solved on in those games. That's not a statement on vaccination. That's a statement on the fact that he won't be available. And so is that guy worth a bunch of money? Like, sure. I mean, if it's like one of these things where like, we'll sign him for the rest of the year in one year or like approve it or like an option, because you know Boris just wants to get him out in the free agency next year after he shows something. If you can sign him to like a one-month contract, cool. But like, is that what they're going to be able to get? Yeah, well, and that's that's the question, right? Is, is that you sign him for the month, he's on approve it. Now he's motivated. He's motivated as all heck to come back, play really, really well, and get that contract in the offseason. So it's kind of a... If you don't care about the money, which if I'm Rakan at this point, I shouldn't, I, I'm frustrated, so I shouldn't care about the money, but you know, the prorated salary is probably not going to be huge. So it's, it's a kind of a harmless flyer that you're taking on the guy, but you're right. The lack of vax is becoming a much more of an issue, especially if Toronto's in the playoffs. Uh, we've already seen several teams have, have it bite them just in the regular season, let alone, you know, talking playoff baseball. And you also, you know, with shoulder surgery, it's going to be tricky. I, I would worry that what's going to end up happening is he's going to come back. He's going to push himself to come back quickly so that he can show that he can play. And he's going to end up a compromised version of himself that is going to not be the player that he needs to be. And that you're going to be in a situation where he's going to be run out there like a lot of other veterans have been run out there with an opportunity to, to play his way into it. In a stretch run that, frankly, this team is going to be, it's going to be really tight. I mean, you can sit back and enjoy the ride. It's going to be interesting, but it's going to be really tight for them down the stretch. And I don't know, I don't know if you can afford to have that. So if they do it, it better be because they did their diligence on this guy and he is healthy and he is ready to go after a short rehab stint so that he can come up and contribute right away. Because if it's anything other than that, then it is just a colossal waste of this team's time. Let's get back to the Lance Lynn thing, because I want to touch on this before we're done. You know, Tony basically trying to say it doesn't matter how many innings are on his arm or what he's doing. I want to get him six. You've seen him keep him in longer a lot this year, even though he's up in the 90s or even the hundreds in his pitch count. And that's when he's shaky and he falls apart. You see a game in which maybe we're trailing by one become a game that we're trailing by four. And now the game is not we don't even have a chance. You see the air come out of this team and the air comes out of this team really easily, right? Like these guys like get their heads down way too quick sometimes. We've seen that throughout the year. So that makes a big impact. But he gets 88 pitches the other day and he goes six. And then Tony's like, all right, even though he's cruising, I'm done. Six was the magic number. Six is also the magic number for Dylan Cease. And I know everybody's saying that he's a superstar and he's an ace. And I think he's a spectacular pitcher. But what if you would have gotten Shohei Otani? He, he doesn't stop at six innings. Shohei Otani's a stop. No, he does not. No, Shohei Otani goes out and pitches seven, eight, complete games. Think about Shohei Otani and compare him to Dylan Cease. Everybody's like, well, Cease is going to get, you said it earlier in the show, Cease is going to get left out of the Cy Young award. Well, he only goes six innings. Like, he pitches a beautiful six innings, but it doesn't matter if he's at 110 pitches or if he's at 90. If you, if you go through what he's done, there are six-inning games where he's pitched 90, 90 pitches. There are six-inning games where he's pitched 110. So it's become an innings thing is how it's calculated. You know, my superstar ace goes 7-8. My superstar ace, when they need a break in the bullpen, does that for them. 
And even if they don't need the break in the bullpen, gives it to him because they need it maybe a couple of days later, they got that big rest on his day that he went out and pitched. So that's the thing that Dylan Cease hasn't done for me yet. Spectacular pitcher. I think completely capable of doing that, but he goes up there and his intention is to strike out the batter. So he has to use far more pitches to do that because he's trying to be perfect. And it's a beautiful thing to watch, but only six innings. I I, want to see the point where he's all of a sudden standing there going, give me the ball. I'm going back out for the seventh. Give me the ball. I'm going back out for the eighth. I'm going to sit these guys down like I'm Jacob deGrom when he's healthy. That's what I'm waiting for for my ace. I don't know if the manager allows that, but I'm curious. That's my question for it too. Is is this Dylan Cease sitting there going, okay, I'm budgeting myself for six innings because that's what Tony wants out of me. And mentally he's got to sit there and go, I got to budget myself for nine. And if it only ends up being six, so be it. And it's a mindset with Dylan Cease. Or is this really just a Tony sitting there going, no, got to get six out of Dylan. I'm only letting you go six. You're not going into the seventh. I don't care if you only have 80 pitches. I'm not letting you go in the seventh. You're only going six, kid. And, you know, conversely with Lynn, Lance Lynn is a veteran. He can do whatever he wants. Johnny Cueto is a veteran. He can do whatever he wants. But the, you know, the Cy Young thing, you know, I, I just go back to things like how I see, see reports going into the All-Star break where, you know, they're noting that Shane McClanahan, who's probably going to be the Cy Young winner uh, the, from the Rays, is leading the league and leading the majors in strikeouts tied with Garrett Cole, even though. Cole and McClanahan were a few strikeouts behind Dylan Cease at the break. So they weren't even leading the AL. I just think he's a forgotten man because he goes six, because Tony, either Tony has him on an innings limit or because Cease hasn't figured out that he is the ace of the staff and he does need to be the guy that goes out and just, you know, absolutely takes over a game. And if it's Cease's mindset, I think that that can change very quickly. If it's Tony, That just adds to the frustration. Well, you know, in Minnesota, he went seven. I mean, let's be fair. Three times this year, four times this year, he's gone seven. But the vast majority of time, it's six or five and a third or five and two thirds or five as you scroll through his game logs. and, And it's weird because he's had games where he goes 110 pitches and Tony's trying to stretch him through another inning because he looks at that and goes, well, I want my starter to make it this far. But then he's rolling, let's say, in his last outing against Oakland. And he's sitting at 94 pitches. And there wasn't even a question he was done after six. And I've seen him pitch 20 more pitches in a game. Okay, he's had 110 before. I just find that weird, right? Like, what is he capable of? Is he a guy that can go 110 and be effective? Well, then, of course, let him go back out there and do it again. Is he the kind of guy that he starts to fall apart when he gets to that point? Well, then why are you stretching him to get that extra inning where he's going to give up a run after he's given you what he can and you should be going to the bullpen? It, the weird thing is the decision seems to be made based closer to innings than it does the pitch count. And I, I that 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 boggles my mind a little bit. When you sit down and you look at how Lynn's used and you look at how Cease is used, fine. I'm a crazy person that sits at a bar with his buddy on the south side and talks about the White Sox, right? Uh, you know, I'm one of these guys that sits in a, in a bar with his friends and talks about the White Sox. I'm one of the, Look, I was at 16-inch softball on Wednesday night. In, in Duffy Park on the south side. And I had four or five guys walk up to me and go, what do you think? Because they all know I do this show. And I'm in these big discussions and they have opinions that are just as valid as my opinions, right? I'm a fan. You're a fan, all right? Maybe I don't know everything. I'm not part of the intricate, weird web of White Sox management, okay, that decides when guys need rest and wh- how long guys can go. But I can look at the stats and I can say, okay, well, hold on a second. Why 
why will you push a guy into the the 105, 110 range in pitch count? Because you're trying to get him to the sixth inning. But when a guy's cruising and he gets through six and he's still got another 10, 15, 20 pitches based upon how you used him the month earlier, he's not going into the seventh. I think that's a valid question. And I think it bears watching, not just with Cease and Lynn, but start watching the other pitchers. Start watching Kopech and Giolito in particular. I think Johnny Cueto kind of gets a, a pass to do his own thing. but Because he's Johnny Cueto, baby! Because he's Johnny Cueto! Because, yeah. But also because Tony Larusa has this mentality of, you're a vet. The longer you play in this game, the more leeway you get. Right? It's kind of like how Vince McMahon used to run WWE. If you're The Rock, you can make up your own promo. But if you're new, you better read the script. Like, that's kind of how it is. Oh, yeah. 100%. And I just wonder, if you watch Giolito Cease, Kopech, and to a certain degree, Lynn... I wonder if they are just sit, sitting there thinking that this team is built for six innings out of the starter and then turn it over to the bullpen, and that's the goal each time out. And the only time that somebody goes seven is when the bullpen got taxed the night before. I think that bears watching and probably looking more into it, and I just don't have those stats or anything like that compiled in front of me. But that's, you know, again, as we're sitting back enjoying the ride for the remainder of the season, because that's all you can do. You, you can grouse about the offseason and, and the trade deadline all you want, but the fact is the team's the team, and you can sit back and enjoy whether or not they, they're actually competitive or, or look for, for signs for next year and try and just enjoy being a fan for the rest of the season because that's all you got. That's all I am now. You're not going to do very much at this point to change your fate. So now we're just going to see how it goes. <laughs> it's fun to watch. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.